is episode 19 of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagine. Or maybe they didn't imagine it, but they have become super successful at what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turned it into a business. Or they found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Monica Graves, owner and designer of Glam Jewels. Glam Jewels is a trendy jewelry brand that provides an instant pop of color or bling to any outfit. It's fresh, fun, and affordable. But most of all, you can get creative with the designer herself and create your very own pieces. Monica went from a steady, stable sales job at Canada Post to launching her own business as a side hustle. She wanted to follow her dream and do something to help women feel more empowered, feel good, and look good all at the same time. Monica took the leap into her business full-time after six years of juggling a full-time job and her love for being creative and designing these one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry. There were many nights and weekends spent growing the business, and after 20 years, she's still here, still being creative, and still loving her dream. Glam Jewels is shipped direct to customers all over the world. This everyday luxury jewelry brand has been worn by many famous celebrities, such as Fergie, Paris Hilton, and Vivica A. Fox, just to name a few. Monica is one of those business owners that when you meet her, you just want to spend more time with her. She is so delightful and has such a generous spirit and good energy. She loves to help people in need and through Glam Jewels has supported so many different charities in fun and creative ways. Monica loves to make sure her customers are happy and has built a very loyal following over the years. People love having the opportunity to visit her at the studio, to utilize her expertise to design something creative for their wedding or special event, and some even just want a new look for the season. So Monica, thank you so much for joining me today. This is exciting. What a beautiful intro. Thank you. I was just sitting here smiling like, oh, this is so nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice to hear nice things about me. For sure, why not? And we should tell people nice things, you know? Why not make people feel good? Yeah. And we need to receive the nice things and relish in them, not say, oh no, you're exaggerating. Oh no, just take it. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, everyone who's joining us today, um, I originally met Monica in 2014. I'm pretty sure it was 2014. Yeah. um, At an event in Hamilton. And the event we were at, was horrible. Like it was, it was horrible. There were very little people in attendance. Uh, so sales were not that great. And the best thing that happened that weekend was meeting Monica, was meeting you. And you know, you were just such a breath of fresh air. And we spent most of our time talking about business, about business, um, our challenges, some of the success we had along the way. And you know, the one thing I really learned about you, uh, Monica, that weekend is that you're like very hardworking, super creative and also very genuine in who you are like you really live your brand and you really always like to help people and find solutions and be proactive which I love and um, the other thing is like you also always have the best interest of your customers at heart so you just want to make sure that everyone is happy at the end of the day and so I'm totally looking forward to this conversation Uh, We're going to talk about business, but uh, I'm also interested in hearing uh, about your backstory 
and uh, seeing who created the wonderful person that you are, where you came from and how that happened. Um, so perhaps we can start with a little bit of your history. Like, where did you grow up? What was it like? Uh, what were you passionate about as a young girl? And then we can move into school and your job and then jumping into launching your own business. I love it. Yeah, that's so, great. Where did you so, come from? <laughs> I came from <laughs> two amazing parents. So my parents, uh, they both were from Germany. My mom and her family came shortly after World War II. And my dad came over as a young man uh, to explore a new country. And they actually met through uh, like a little club at the church in Toronto that they both attended. And they had their first kiss in Bob Cajun uh, oh. and on the May 2-4 weekend. Yep. No uh, and so that would have been like, I think the summer of 59, I'm guessing, somewhere around wow. there. Yeah, 50, yeah, I'm sure it was 59. So anyway, my parents both you know, madly in love, romantic, beautiful story. They waited to have me. They wanted to see the world. So they did this big trip through Europe um, and through Africa and they bought a Volvo in Sweden. And uh, yeah, so they were pretty progressive. Like they waited yeah. six years until they had me. So my mom was already 30. And then two years later, they had my brother. So, uh, and we grew up um, in Oakville and, uh, went to a great school. I always, like all of our schools were wonderful, but I always say my high school, it was like growing up in a John Hughes movie. Like I am so happy that I went to high school from 1983 to 87 when Pretty in Pink was out, 16 Candles, all that stuff. Like <laughs> I know I'm jumping forward a little bit on the timeline here, but um, I just had the best childhood. I mean, there were ups and downs, there was stuff, but when I look back at my memories, I'm, I'm so grateful. So, so yeah, really well, and your parents must've been like very open and progressive, especially considering yeah. how much they were traveling during that time frame, because that wouldn't have been that common. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah, they, they really were, they were real, uh, they were always, you know, curious and love to explore and uh, travel was a big deal for them. So even um, with us growing up, like, uh, you know, I remember you know, not wanting to go to university and my parents saying to me, well, then you're going to travel. You're going to backpack through Europe. So Janet, 30 years ago today, I was in Greece. No way. Yes. I was so you decided, okay, so you decided not to go to university and your parents were like, okay, then go travel through Europe. Like whose parents yeah. say that? Other parents are like, get <laughs> yeah. a job. Oh yeah. But my parents weren't and will pay for it. They said, get your money, like get a job, get some money together and get your butt out of here. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was, it was great. So, but I was like growing up, um, I would have to say as a little kid, I was, I was a shy kid. I always wanted to be around my mom and dad. I had anxiety about going to summer camps, about sports. I, was, I played soccer, didn't love it. Like Those things didn't resonate with me, but what did resonate with me was a feeling of freedom. When I learned to ride my bike, I was on fire. I loved to walk. I loved nature. I just didn't like anything competitive. And then I found art. 
and art set my heart on fire. Yeah. And so how old were you when you found your love for art? Like when you really thought, oh, I really love this. This is something I enjoy. I guess I was quite young. Like I was probably in nursery school because we have pictures of me like doing dress up and finger painting and all that stuff. Like that's like a memory from photos. But my first memory, which is somewhat creative and entrepreneurial, is that um, I remember being in kindergarten and I remember being very aware of the fact that I had a lot of years ahead of me. I had 13 years ahead of me in school. And going out for recess and seeing on the ground like little pebbles, and I thought to myself, oh my God, if I could sell a million pebbles for a dollar each, I'm out of here. I don't have to go through 13 years of school. I can pay my parents' house off. We could all live at the cottage happily ever after. And we don't have to do any of this life stuff because <laughs> I wasn't into it. I was like, why? I don't want to do that. This school is a waste of my time. I have more important things to do, like sell pebbles. <laughs> so, That's right. <laughs> so did you try selling pebbles? <laughs> no, I think I, uh, it was like a fleeting thought. But, um, but then, um, you know, as time went on and I had this sort of anxiety around you know, sports and camp and all that stuff. My mom actually found a woman locally in the neighborhood who was teaching art classes from her home. And I loved that. That was great. And we did all kinds of things, pottery, painting. So I was trying out all these different mediums and, uh, and I really loved everything. Um, and then from there, I, I did really well in art going through school. And when I was 15 almost 16 I decided to start my own t-shirt business I don't know if we ever talked about this but we did I, but I, I did read about this when I was researching you so I wanted to ask okay yeah yeah so I started my own t-shirt business um and so what I did was because it was the 80s and people were really into retro stuff like I think all kids with every generation you're into retro right so our retro were things like um, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, all that kind of stuff. So I would hand paint those images on t-shirts for people and I would charge $25 a t-shirt and all the kids in high school were ordering them from me. And then I got my t-shirts into uh, the store in our, we had like a little boutique in our high school where you could buy stuff and I got them into the high school store and that's sort of where I started my, wow, this is cool. Uh, you know, I can actually make something with my hands and people want it and I can make money from it. That's amazing. So yeah. do you still have any of those t-shirts today? You know, it's funny. I don't have any, but I've been talking about it. I have, um, so the, the girls that I've known since kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade three, we have a uh, Zoom call every Saturday at 9 a.m., and of course, all this old stuff comes up and two of them came forward and said, I still have my shirt and their kids are now wearing them. No way. Oh, yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So one of my friends has a, a James Dean sweatshirt. I made her because she was in love with James Dean and, uh, and her boyfriend in high school kind of looked like James Dean and they're married now. That's so <laughs> um, funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So yeah, it's all. And then another friend had an English beat jean jacket. 
so how long how long did you how long did you do the t-shirts for i i did the t-shirts uh up until my early 20s and i would do i would be down at the harbor front in toronto selling them um when i was 18 years old i took out um a a student loan well no it wasn't a student loan it was like a grant from the sorry, I'm saying a grant. It was a loan and it was from the government and it was for young people to start their own venture. It was called a student venture loan. Here we go. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> it's a long time ago. So I'm asking you to dig into the archives. <laughs> yes, it was a long time ago. So I was 18 years old at the time. Yeah. And so I took out this, I think it was a $3,000 student venture loan. I applied to be at the CNE and do their 21 day show. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was, so it was three grand. I paid the entire $3,000 back. That's how much money I made plus a little bit more I made. And then I figured out my time of making the t-shirts plus standing at the show and selling. Cause the hours were like 10 to 10. Yeah. Long days. Days. And I made, yeah, I made 75 cents an hour. Oh my God. Making it in. <laughs> You know what I was thinking? Like when you said you signed up for the CNE, I was like, did you really know what you were getting yourself into at the time? No. Yeah. Not at all. Isn't that crazy? You're like, this sounds but cool. I loved it. I, yeah. Yeah. And I remember I fell in love with the garbage man. There was like this young, he was, I think, two years, or no, a year younger than me. So he was only 17. And I was like, oh, that's, but he was so cute. He kind of had like, um, I don't know like a Steve Tyler young kind of thing going on. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so you made 75 cents an hour. Yeah. And then, and then did you decide like, A, I shouldn't do big events like this, or maybe this t-shirt thing isn't going where I wanted to go. Yeah. Well, I continued on. I thought, well, maybe this is just the beginning of something bigger. So I kept going with it. And then after that, I would do these shows at the Harbor front and I ended up doing quite well at those shows and I made a connection with a guy who had a store in Kensington Market called Dancing Days and he only wanted jean jackets from me and we did all these like ska themed reggae like Bob Marley all that kind of stuff and of course I didn't have any licensing for this stuff right I was just like okay let's do it and then as I went on I found out like you know you got to be careful with copyright infringement and all that kind of thing yeah well so, you know back in the day there was no social media so your chances of getting caught are, right. are much lower but today for sure you get nailed yeah, definitely. And then Janet, from the t-shirts, I went to wall murals. So I went into people's homes and painted murals. And then I did a couple of businesses. I, I did an auto dealership. I did a, 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 wrote a Caribbean restaurant. So I had all these kinds of things going. Um, and the jewelry kind of came in at the same time. But um, the auto dealership was so great. The guy was really cool who owned it and he was really into pop art and I'm huge into pop art. So he had me paint a beach scene with a Porsche driving in and then uh, hanging off the Porsche from the rear view mirror, he wanted the air freshener to be the Rolling Stones tongue. And oh. then he wanted, yeah, it was awesome. And then he wanted the Jetsons flying overhead uh, in their spaceship, like over the beach and a big palm tree. Oh, it was so cool. I still have a picture of it somewhere. So um, how did the murals come about? Like, did you start it as a business or is that something like someone saw your t-shirts and they said, hey, can you actually paint a mural for us? Like, how did that work? 
Well, that, um, so that's, that's funny. When I first started working, my first job was babysitting and I loved babysitting and I was going to take my, well, I did, I took my early childhood education. I was going to go forward to become a kindergarten teacher. And while I was babysitting, I had started the t-shirt biz. Um, but okay, now I, you're really making me go back. I'm trying to think I was younger. So it was before the t-shirt biz, I was painting on big pieces of wood, uh, Big Bird, uh, Bert and Ernie, like all the Sesame Street characters for each kid that I babysat. We had like six kids on the street who I take care of. So at Christmas time or their birthdays, I'd paint them these images and they'd hang them in their room. And then from there, that's when I was inspired to do t-shirts. And then I thought, hey, I could go back to what I was doing originally and put this stuff on walls. And, and it was through taking early childhood education and working at a daycare center that I'd met parents who said, can you paint a mural on my kids' walls? That's how it went. Oh, that's, how it that's went interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what came first? <laughs> so yeah. do you did your early childhood education at Sheridan? Yes. And yeah. then also while you were at Sheridan though, like when I look at the timeline at Sheridan, you were also working at Canada Post and going to school? Yeah, so I did. what I did was um, when I was in grade 12, I sat with a guidance counselor and I said, I want to go to college. I want to get on with my life. I want to become a kindergarten teacher. So I went to college when I was seven, between 17 and 18, I guess. I was young. I took a semester of early childhood education and uh, the girls were older than me. They were having sex. <laughs> there was stuff going on that I wasn't doing with my friends and I could not relate and it was too early for me. So I went back to high school after completing a semester of early childhood education and said, I want to come back and do my grade 13. Those girls, it's too grown up over there. I don't like that world. No way, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I still remember how uncomfortable I felt. Like they were all talking about their boyfriends and what was happening on the weekends. And I mean, I wasn't even of drinking age yet, right? I was like, <gasps> I gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was so intimidated. So, so then you go back to high school for grade 13. Yes, and I finish it. So the way that I do it, because I didn't want to finish high school being 19, right? I really didn't want to do the grade 14. <laughs> I wanted to be 18 and done. So, so I came back, I did my semester, and then I went to summer school to have it all finished up. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so then after you were done grade 13, what did you do? Yeah, I did pursue the early childhood. I think I did a little bit of part-time. So I never actually completed the full diploma. I thought, well, this is okay. I don't know if this is exactly where I want to go, but I got a job at Canada Post that summer and I loved the paycheck because it was way more money than any of my friends were making. And so I was the, Hey, I'll treat you all this, all this, like, you know? And, um, so, so then I thought, yeah, I don't think I want to go back to school. I think I'm really enjoying this money making. And then I got exposed to customer service. So my very first job at Canada Post, so I was making $32,000 a year giving out postal codes over the phone. <laughs> 
it was so awesome. So people would phone in. I'd get like every lonely person, whoever person. You'd start making friends. Like you'd know who was calling in. And at that time, we didn't have call display. So then the people I worked with were a lot of fun and they were all young. We were all in our early 20s and we'd crank call each other on the phone lines. And it was just so much fun. Like it was such a great community of people. And and I was good with people. And, and my supervisor at the time said, I would like to put you now into a customer service position where you're actually helping people who have lost parcels or things like that. And I loved that. And I'd call all the stations all over Toronto and try to find these lost items. And I'd get to know the station managers. And I, it was so gratifying. Like I almost kind of felt famous because I was in the in this postal world and I had all the connections and, and it was so much fun. And so, so keeping on with that and really like relishing in this, um, this feeling of connecting with people, I, I moved on to sales, which was a natural progression. Um, and my boss at the time said to me, if you're going to do this, you need to go back to school and study business and, if you're going to do that, we will pay for it, but you have to commit to us that you're going to stick around because Janet, going back to the uh, Europe trip, that was the job I got to raise money for Europe. So I would work for six months, quit, go to Europe, come back, beg for my job back. And then I did it again. I quit again to go back to Europe for a second time. And then they said, okay, this is what we want to do with you, but you got to sign in blood that you're going to stick around now you're not taking off to Europe again (laughs) so yeah so then what so if you had to like sign that you're going to stick around what was that time frame like so that was um well basically what happened was they said you know you need I think it was like for you had to stay around for a couple of two or three years or something after the education was done but I stayed I never left after that and I was there so, so 89 to 91, I was quitting and begging for the job back. And then 91 to 2006, I think I left December, 2006, I stayed. Wow. So it was a long and, time. Yeah, yeah. And so they put you through business school. Yeah. Yeah. So through Sheridan college, I took business courses there. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of interesting because then as you're, um, as you're at Canada Post, then at some point in time, like what is it that sparked you to start making jewelry on the side? So um, what sparked me, so um, when I was doing this backpacking, I, like I always loved jewelry and I always, I especially loved earrings. Do you remember in the 80s, like going down to the harbor front and getting those abalone shell earrings and they were like, they were like layered with the silver and they were big chandeliers. Oh my God. They were the best. You're talking to the wrong girl. And, I was like the oh, biggest you were not tomboy the and I never were wore you? any jewelry. I barely wore any makeup. Like I don't even think I really wore makeup. Like my sister and I are the opposite. My sister is like, she knows everything about makeup and hairstyles and nails and blah, blah, blah. And I know nothing. Like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I was always, like, I always had my eye on the next pair of earrings. Like, I was obsessed with earrings. And in, um, I think it was, uh, like, the summer of 88, or somewhere around there, I went with my brother to see the cult at the uh, CNE. Remember that? 
So we're at the state, whatever. And I'd had my eye on those abalone shell earrings all day. Anyways, so it was the eve of my birthday, the concert. It was August the 19th. And then August, so we're coming home on the go train. And it strikes midnight. And my brother, he's more reserved than me, but he was so brave. He got up and he told everyone in the car, it's my sister's birthday. And everyone's saying happy birthday. And we just seen the concert. And he presented those earrings to me that I'd had. Oh, that that's so sweet. I know. So nice of him. So I'll never forget that. That was like one of my best birthday memories. So I always had my eye on the earrings. Always and so when you were earrings. like, even when you were a teenager, you always had an yeah. obsession with earrings? Oh, yeah. Like I won a contest in high school for the biggest hoops at a dance. And the guy and the and the DJ, it was a CFNY video dance. I'm trying to remember. It wasn't Live Earl Jive. It was, damn, I might, it might still come to me. But um, so I got this prize. And then um, I, uh, he said to me, how many, he goes, those are like satellites. Like, are you getting, like, <laughs> what are you receiving off of those earrings? Like they were gigantic and they were right down to my shoulders. I mean, they were awesome. <laughs> And I think that night I, I kissed the DJ too in the parking lot. <laughs> <But> anyways. <laughs> well, I guess you were receiving some kisses from those earrings. Yes. I was hot that <laughs> night, Janet, let me tell you. So it's coming yeah. very apparent that you've always had a love for jewelry. I have always had but a love for jewelry. Then, then yes. you're, so, working, you're working at Canada Post, you're getting a yeah. good paycheck. And then for some reason, you just decide, oh, I think I want to make my life even busier and just make jewelry yes, on weekends. For sure. So <laughs> I, at the time, <laughs> that's exactly how it went down. So at the time, I was in my early 20s. I was, uh, I was living with my first real boyfriend and he wasn't the right guy for me. It's a long, <laughs> long story. We all have those stories. But he had... Um, this lovely friend, and she said to me, uh, hey, Monica, do you want to go to uh, Toronto, to Queen Street, and check out bead stores? Like, it's all the rage right now. Oh, no. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go with her, and it was like, oh, my God. It was, almost felt like I had done it in a past life. Like, I'm like, these beads, ah. And I just went crazy, and I bought all this stuff. And you know how you hear about people who buy beads because they're so gorgeous but then they're like what the hell do you do with them when they get them home I just knew what to do I was like okay I'm gonna make this gonna make this gonna make this and it really empowered me I broke up with the bad boyfriend <laughs> and uh, he's like you now have a bead obsession <laughs> I, yeah I'm like you're out man listen I I, I choose know beads what, yeah I choose, <laughs> choose beads I know what you're talking about because I don't know if you know this or not, but my sister and I, um, like when I was working at Sun Microsystems, my sister and I started a small business making jewelry. So I 100% no fully <laughs> understand the obsession with beads. Like I think I still have Tupperware bins in my basement that I should go through and give to you because honestly, like I'd love it. It's crazy. Yeah, we started, that was, uh, I started a business called Flirt Accessories. And it was great because my sister and I could like, it was something we did together, you know? Yeah. So, and you do get like, it's very cathartic um, and it's very tangible. So like my day job, I was spending a lot of time at a computer designing learning programs, but there's nothing that you actually like touch and feel and see it to completion. 
Whereas like making a necklace or making a bracelet or making earrings, it's very tactile and you see a start and you also see a finish, you know, there's some yes. satisfaction in it. There, look at all those tubs behind me. Yeah, I am lucky. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a real satisfaction to it. And I, I mean, I was, there was a time where I was making the jewelry and doing the painting. Um, but you're right, you know, after, um, a while like just the satisfaction of you're not waiting as long like when I paint a mural you know it's hours and hours and hours until you get to the completion which is very you know it was very satisfying but there's something about sitting down for an hour or two and making like a beautiful necklace and yeah it's all done because well, it also speaks love. to your passion of loving jewelry <laughs> that's why yes instant <laughs> so gratification start, yeah you, you start the business part-time yeah. Um, like, is it, you go to the bead store and then you just start making things and then you just start selling them? Yes. So I was selling them to my coworkers at Canada Post and, um, and I had a friend, uh, she and I chummed around and, and we were obsessed with, you know, like 90210 and friends and all those shows. And we'd always have our eye on what are those girls wearing? What are they wearing? So at the time I was making these little necklaces and we called them stackers, you know, the ones on memory wire. Yeah. So with the little tiny beads and those were great. And then we'd stack them up our neck and uh, it was a really hot look in the nineties. And then the little charms came. And I also experimented a lot with Fimo clay. Do you remember that stuff? Yes. Yeah. So I would, I would do these little pendants out of Fimo and then I would um, do them like in neutral colors and I'd brush them with like a silver or gold dusting. And then I'd put a, um, you know, the glass that you put into vases. Remember that in the nineties? Yeah. Also, I would use those pieces of glass to put on top. So I'd have this like fun little pendant. I actually have one of those classics hanging up over there. She brought it down. But anyways. <laughs> so at what point yeah. in time, like at what point in time did you decide, okay, um, I'm working full time. I'm doing this as a side hustle. It's taking up a yeah. bunch of time. Like why did you decide to like move into it full time? Well, it's funny, Janet. So um, it kind of, it did fall in my lap. It wasn't actually something I thought, this is what I'll do one day. I, I, I was too scared. So, so what ended up happening in my journey through Canada Post was I, I started to really move up the ladder and I had a vision for myself to become a director there. And I really wanted all those things. I wanted to be the corporate woman, right? And, um, and then I had an experience where in one year I had a really difficult boss who second guessed me and, and really, um, I was young, I was in my thirties and, and it was like, I, I had all these feelings of self doubt that I hadn't experienced before, before that all of my supervisors and managers had been very like, you can do it. You're encouraging, great. just go for it. So encouraging. Yeah. So then I started to have these like really weird feelings and then I got really, really stressed at work. And one day I was driving home and I got slammed, um, from behind by a, like a, a, a small truck and ended up with whiplash and all this crap. So I, and much like, you know, the time that we're in right now with COVID, um, I had a lot of time off for some serious reflection and realized I don't want to work for this guy anymore. I want to be happy in my work. So didn't really think about the jewelry thing 
did what I did in high school and asked my old boss if I could come back to my old job. Oh, no way. Yeah. And he said to me, yes, but we want, of course we want you back. No problem. But you know, what's going to happen now is you're going to not be looked at the same way. Your chances for moving up the ladder, you may be sabotaging that. And I said, I'm willing to take that risk. I'd rather be happy than unhappy. So I went back to the old job. You know what happened? Other people asked for their old jobs back. I started a revolution. <laughs> it was so really? great. Because yeah, people not, didn't not like a like hundred people. Just different people. Like even people weren't not, weren't necessarily working for him, but there were, I don't know, it was less than five people, but it really made me feel good. People who were unhappy that saw that I did it and said, well, maybe I can do that too. And you know what? I don't think there's any shame in that because great things came from me doing that. I yeah. ended up being back in a very positive environment. I ended up growing my business even more. I even had a boss who said, you're so talented, like grow that business. Who knows? Maybe one day you'll do it full time. Never. And, and that, that manager also never felt threatened. He looked at it as me having being entrepreneurial is beneficial to his sales team, which it was because I was a very high performer. And then we had a situation where in that department, they wanted to downsize and they asked everyone in my department if they would like a package to leave. And so this particular manager was so great. He sat down and he said, Monica, I don't want you to go, but I want you to go because I know what your potential is on your own and now is your chance to do it so just take it and go for it and i was like 37 years old at the time and i just wow so he encouraged it. you to leave he to encouraged leave. me yeah and yeah. then my family encouraged me my husband i didn't expect any of that i really didn't i thought everybody saw me in this box i'll be the full-time working girl with the full-time hobby that makes money and that's who i am you know and so it's been quite a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, like, do you remember, um, were you feeling like excited, nervous or wow, I can't oh. wait. I have more time to spend on this. Yeah. I, all of those things. Like I couldn't wait, but I was really scared. Like I was like, Oh my God, am I doing the right thing? And, um, and it was a whole learning, you know, it was a, there were a couple of things that were big. First of all, the regular paycheck, getting used to being paid, when you know when your clients pay you um that was big for me um and the other thing that was really really big was not having somebody tell me what to do mm. like i did have freedom with my job at canada post but it's a fantastic company to work for like they have processes in place you know if you use the processes and you follow their guidelines you will be successful and i was very good at doing that and so now I had to come up with my own processes and guidelines to be successful. And I really wanted someone just to tell me what to do. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, you can make this easier. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. So talk about the worst boss you've ever had. It, it's yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> 
I joke with my friends yeah. all the time. Like, you know, my boss is such a bitch sometimes. Yeah, I say that too. I'm like, if this jerk lets me off early tonight, maybe I can meet you, but. Yeah, that's sure. right, that's right. So um, would you say like in the first few years when you were kind of on your own, doing this full time, like the biggest challenges were probably cash flow, um, those processes, getting those in place. What do you think, if you think back to that time, like what were some of the biggest mistakes that you think you made? Um, some of the biggest mistakes were, uh, it's, it's always the same thing with me. It's one mistake I, that I have made is doing what other people, because I craved this tell me what to do, doing what other people thought I should do instead of what felt good to me. And it's, I would say it took almost a decade to really, for that to really resonate with me because I think it's easy to start a business, be in a certain industry and look at what other people are doing and think that you should be doing those things too. And not necessarily. So, so I very quickly thought, okay, well, I've got a brand and uh, I need to get it on famous people. I need to wholesale it. I've got to have it all over North America. I need to have stores. I need to have this. Um, and to be honest with you, Janet, when I met you in 2014, you were such an inspiration to me because you had been rocking this online world, which I wasn't even really dipping my toes into at that time because I didn't see it as something I could actually do that was feasible. Like it scared the crap out of me. And, and so you were a big, and after I met you, I did a couple of things because of meeting you that I I'll share with you that, that uh, really helped me. Hopefully they were good. They were very good. Hopefully it worked out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but so I, there was a time when, um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that these were mistakes. They were all, um, you know, the, the things I did to really learn, but, but it was really tough. Like, like supplying jewelry to a hundred stores. And then I had eight women who were working for me, huge payroll, huge, you know, and, and then, you know, celebrities wearing your your uh, jewels. I mean, going into celebrity gift lounges, it's all very fine and good, but you have to pay to be in there and then you're giving things away for free. And the return on the investment, I really was just all about like, oh my God, I'm going to meet rock stars and this is so awesome. And I, it's not that I regret doing it, but I, I don't know that I would do that again. Yeah. I don't Listen, think I, I needed I, it. I did the same thing with Orange Fish, you know, being yeah. much music gifting lounges. Yeah. You know, you think it's going to be like, it's, it'll help take your business to the next level, but yeah. the chances of that are so minuscule, you know, and it's true. Like you get caught up in the, I get to meet such and such. I can be around this. This makes sense for my brand. But after you do it, so how many times do you think you did it? Cause I probably did it about two or three years in a row. And then I was yeah. like, yeah, I don't think this is the best strategy. No, I did it two times with the Much Music Video Awards. I did it twice. Yeah. 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 And same. I was like, no. But then I met my idol, which I didn't pay for. And that's a story for you. Who did you meet? Who did you meet? Okay. I met Olivia Newton-John. 
Come on. And she want she asked to meet me. What? Yes. How? How did that? How did so this happen? So you won't even believe this story, okay? So when I was a, a young girl, I have a very vivid memory of driving in the car with my dad, and we were listening to Olivia Newton John on the tape deck, and I was singing along, and my dad said, "Oh, my!" With the German accent, Monica, your voice—you sound like Olivia Newton John. I do? Yes. And I was like, oh my God, right? My daddy, like telling me this was such a big deal. So my dad and I always had this thing with Olivia. Like we loved Olivia Newton-John. Then in 1980, Xanadu came out. Do you remember that movie? Yes. Yeah. On the roller skates. Okay. I went there with my girlfriend. My dad took me with my girlfriends. It was for my 11th birthday, the summer of 1980. I was obsessed. Okay. I was that I went on my roller skating journey from that movie, Glam Jewels. When I branded it, everything about it is revolved around Xanadu, the white <laughs> lighting, the whole freaking thing. Okay, even me, my hair. I had a model at the time. I'm like, she needs to look like Kira in Xanadu. Like everything is Xanadu, Xanadu, Xanadu. Anybody who knows me, it's all about the Xanadu. So when I was a kid, that movie came out. I could, I was like so amazed by it. And I don't know if you remember the movie, Janet, but it was like one of the very first new age movies. It was about uh, Olivia Newton-John coming down to earth and inspiring an artist. And she was a daughter of Zeus. So she was like this muse of creativity. And he was uh, an artist who duplicated album covers and hung them up at record stores. So he'd get an album cover and then paint this huge thing and hung them up at record stores, hence the t-shirt obsession thing, right? right? Okay. So this movie, like together. everything <laughs> is like a huge influence. Yes, it's all coming together. So, so this was a big deal for me. So anyways, then in uh, two, oh, okay, so then after that, the movie came out on VHS and we did not have a VHS player at home. So my parents, movies came out like a year later back then, right? It wasn't yeah. like two months later. My parents, uh, they rented a VHS and I think we rented like a bunch of stuff. I faked sick because I knew we had that VHS for the weekend and I had to go back Tuesday by six. So I faked sick while both my mom and dad were at work and watched that friggin' movie on replay Xanadu over and over and over and over again. Incredible. Obsessed. Obsessed. <laughs> then went as Kira for Halloween. That, so I'm like 11 years old. I'm her for Halloween. Then fast forward to now I'm 40 years old. I do it again. The costume. I go, mom, I want to be Kira from Xanadu. Can you make me the costume? No problem, honey. She makes me a costume. Wayne, my husband and I end up going to this biker bar and He's like, no, but we wanted to see this friend's ba band play for Halloween. Wayne says, nobody's going to know who the hell you are, okay? Like, this is a rough bar in Hamilton. We're going to see our friends. Are you sure you want to be Xanad? Like, what the hell? I go, yes, I want to be Kira. That's what I'm doing. We get to the <laughs> bar. This big, burly biker guy comes right up to me. goes, Kira, love it. Cool, man. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> anyway. So there is a reason for all this. So, so here I am 40. Now, 2012, a couple of years later, 
my dad gets diagnosed with cancer and it is the worst. So we find out in September and he's gone within three months. It's one of those cancers, right? So, and my dad love him. I mean, he was such an amazing support to me. So what ends up happening is while my dad is in the hospital, I've been doing work with my business for the Juravinsky Cancer Center. And up until that point, I'd had a couple of friends with cancer, but nobody really in my family. Like my grandmother had died from cancer, but she smoked and so, and she was quite a bit older. So nothing like my dad, right? So Jervinsky is stepping up. They're there for me through this whole thing with my dad. They're amazing. I've got all these contacts there. The CEO of Hamilton Health Sciences says to me, Monica, we have a treat for you. We know how much you love Olivia. We know what Olivia means to you and your dad. She happens to be coming to play a benefit concert for us in November. And we would like you to come. And we were wondering if you'd like to give her a necklace. No way. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, okay, that'd be great. <laughs> what? And also not that enthused about it because my dad's sick and I'd way rather be with him every night than be gallivanting to a concert, even though it is Olivia Newton-John. So the eve, so I make this necklace. Uh, my friend Joelle in Burlington, Joelle's, she finds me a gorgeous box that's all mirrored for the necklace because all my friends are like coming around and supporting me because my dad is now sick and they're helping me out and um so the necklace is ready so I give it to them they're going to present it to her that evening the night of the concert comes I'm not feeling very good my husband says to me about five years ago or whatever I bought this record for you. And I, and it was the Xanadu album. I had my own version from 1980, but he got me a mint condition one. He said, I kind of thought one day you might meet Olivia and I've been keeping this for you. Take it with you tonight and maybe she'll sign it. And I was like, what? I said, I'm not going to meet her. Are you crazy? He goes, well, I think sometimes things turn out wonderfully for you what you know in life and just take it with you so I'm like okay I'll take it with me so I'm schlepping the album I go to the concert I'm sitting with the ladies from Jervinsky they've got the pink jackets like from Greece and they give me a pink jacket to wear and I'm part of that group so then at the end of the night they thank Olivia for the concert and the CEO comes out and she wants to present something to Olivia we have a little presentation for you. And I know Olivia is going to receive lots of gifts. So I'm imagining it's like a giant bouquet or whatever it is. No, it's, I see the little mirrored box. I'm like, oh my God, that's my necklace. So they say, this is from a local artist who is a big fan of yours, blah, blah, blah. And Olivia pulls it out and she goes, oh, it's beautiful. Where is the girl? Where is the girl who made it? So then I have to stand up and I'm like, hi, Olivia. Okay. And she waves (laughs) to me and I'm like, this is great. Perfect night. I'm going to, and I look at my watch. I can still make it back to the hospital to be with my dad. This is awesome. I'm out of here. So then the show closes. I'm getting my jacket on to go. The CEO comes down the stairs. You're not going anywhere. Olivia has requested to meet you backstage. (laughs) So it was awesome because I didn't really want to meet her. I wanted to get back to my dad. I was excited, but I was also, you know, feeling for him. And uh, I was so relaxed when I met her. I didn't have all of this nervous energy. I had, you know, bigger things on my mind. 
she wanted a she took a photo with me. I had written her a letter about Xanadu and how it influenced me as a young girl. She said, I promise you I will read that letter. And this is so lovely. She was so amazing. And I got um, the photo blown up. And I was at the hospital first thing in the morning as soon as I could get in there. And my dad, he was kind of deteriorating at that point, And he was still lucid enough to see the picture and give me the two thumbs up. And he was so happy. Oh, and, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and then he passed away like just a few days later. So it was on the Tuesday and my dad passed away on the Friday. And it, what an amazing experience because it was like my biggest dream and my biggest tragedy like yeah. colliding in one week. And uh, and it forever changed me, that that whole experience. And, and of course, losing my father and... I think from then on, it really put into perspective what was important in life. And, uh, and that, that was, then I met you, Janet, and, and that was what was sort of happening inside of me where I was like, is this what I want? Do I want all these stores? Do I want all this fuss? Do I want, do I want to work this hard or are there other things I could be doing? Wow. Yeah. And, and that was when I really started to bring myself into the forefront of the business and really to be my brand and to, and to speak my brand. And, and, um, and you showed me like online, you can have a presence and you can make a connection with people and it, it works. And it's a great forum because your outreach is that much greater. Yeah, it is. And it really can work. It's really about your brand. Right. And yes. the biggest thing, like I remember when I started Orange Fish in 2006, um, it was one of the first like privately owned e-commerce companies in Canada that wasn't like, you know, massive brand. And at that time, um, being online was all about looking like you were a big brand. So people would trust you so that they would make the purchase online. Because back yeah. in 2006, people weren't shopping online like they do today. Right. You know? And yeah. even I have to say, like even this COVID situation has helped move even more people online. Yeah. Um, and people are more readily to shop online, especially buying made in Canada or buying local. Mm -hmm. But it really has, like that business has really evolved and it's always been challenging. But I think, well, you know, one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people start off with is, they, and I made this mistake in the beginning, like you think you're going to start an online business. You think it's going to be passive, passive income. This is my passive income. It's yeah. anything but passive. Um, and it's still, it is still about building relationships with your customers. It's still yeah. about that at the end of the day and your suppliers. Right. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's amazing, um, with COVID, like it's, it's given us an opportunity, like here you are doing this fantastic podcast. You know, it's just, you're offering your customers something outside of what you would normally do to really bring them some added value and inspire them. And, you know, that's, I think that's what we should all be doing. Like there's so much to share and there's so much light to give and hope to give to other people um, and by sharing our stories and by being vulnerable and, 
and we are vulnerable. I mean, we, we go on forums like this, we tell our stories, we stutter over our words, maybe our makeup and our hair isn't perfect, all this kind of thing, but we're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think you're a very brave Janet, like putting yourself out there and. Well, we, I, I'll say thank you. <laughs> I'll receive that and say thank that. you. I'm working yeah. on that. Um, but I think, you know, I think for women in particular to go out and start their own business, like it's hard for anyone, doesn't matter about the gender, but um, it is a risk. And unless people have done it and tried it, I don't think they really understand how hard it is and how much work it takes. And that's also why you need to be super passionate about what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? You do. You really do. And, and you also, I think you have to realize what it is that your brand is doing for people. Like mm -hmm. I remember when I first started, it was all about money. Like I was like, this is cool. Yeah. I can make stuff, make money, make stuff, make money. But I, I will never forget the time that I, I did my first real craft show. It was down at the uh, Oakville waterfront festival. And, um, and I remember putting a necklace on a woman's neck and I saw her face change. I saw how happy she was when she saw that on herself in the mirror. And I was like, oh, this is actually bigger than what I thought it was. I'm yeah. making people feel good about themselves. And, and that good energy is, is traveling through my jewels. So it's a vehicle. And, that, and then that's what sort of made me go from, well, if I can do that for a lady who just wants a nice necklace to match her top, imagine what I could do for people who are rallying around to raise money for breast cancer, to help yeah. a friend who's dying for, you know, any of that stuff. And that's when I started to develop the fundraising side of my business, because to me, you know, these bracelets people wear, they carry great energy and they, they're a talking point and a touchstone to to build awareness for, you know, causes that we all need to, to help, you know, just cause we're in COVID right now, doesn't mean breast cancer is on hold or diabetes is on hold or any of that stuff. We still need to support those causes. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would say like, that's one thing you've done with your brand that has been very innovative. Like, yes, there are a lot of other companies um, that also support charities, but you actually kind of really get in there and help to create something super custom that mm -hmm. people will want, you know? And yeah. so what, out of all the um, charitable causes that you have assisted with or contributed to, which one has been the most memorable for you and why? Wow. Well, I'm going to quickly say that there's one I'm working on right now that I'm really passionate about. Um, it's, I don't know if you know this, but 2020 is the year of the nurse. And that's not because of COVID. <laughs> that's, it's the 2020 is the year of the nurse. And I'm in a, I'm, I'm doing a, a project right now with the Registered Nurses Foundation of Ontario. They came to me back in December of 2019 and said, we'd like to create a bracelet with you where we can raise money for nursing scholarships. So, um, they're a great organization. If anyone wants to check them out, they're rnfoo.org. And uh, so there are many nurses out there helping us right now who 
if it wasn't for these guys, they wouldn't have had the money to put themselves through school. So wow. they're a very important organization. Yeah. So anyways, that is what I'm working on right now. The one I'm most passionate about. Um, and so that's, that's sort of where I have like two line, two separate, um, entities with the fundraising. So I have clients who come to me and say, I want to raise money. I want to create this. Can you help out? Yes. That's, that's what I was just explaining with the nurses. But then I have my own fundraiser I do, which is called the Three Little Wishes campaign. And it was inspired by my brother's best friend in high school. He was diagnosed with um, cancer when we were in high school. Um, and uh, he, he recovered. He went into remission. And then, he, and then he decided he wanted to go to Mac and become uh, a, cancer, a, a cancer doctor, like in research. Then he was diagnosed at 33 years old with cancer for the second time, was given three months to live, lived uh -huh. for another three years, had triplets with his wife, three children. Wow. And had them because when he was in high school, Max said, we're doing something a little progressive. We want to know, would you be interested in freezing your sperm just in case you meet someone one day and want to have children? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And it was on CH. It was in the Hamilton spec. It was a big story. So he ended up having um, the three kids after he met his wife and got married. Anyway, I'm just trying to think there were all these threes, right? Yeah. The number three kept showing up. So my husband said, why don't we start a fund for our friend Tom and call it the Three Little Wishes Fund after his three children and raise money for the family. So we did it for them when he was diagnosed for the second time. And we raised over $5,000 for the family. And then we raised money for a different family and then when we knew Tom was at the end of his life, we decided that Christmas to do it again for him and his family and raised more money for them. But so every year since then, so that would have been in 2010, we started, we've raised money for families through sales of very special little earrings called our Three Little Wishes earrings. Wow. And every year the earring style changes uh, to suit the family that we're helping yeah yeah like, it's so funny like even as you're talking about it like I can just hear through your voice how passionate you are like you're so caring and so giving and you know not everyone that goes into business necessarily has these characteristics <laughs> a lot of people are like I just want to make money and yeah. we don't start out like that but, you know, I think it's amazing all the uh, charity work that you do. And, uh, of course, I love your creations and stuff. Um, but I'm also aware of your time. And, but I do have one more question that I want to yeah. ask you because I ask every guest this. I've stolen this question from Tim Ferriss because I love it so much. And I oh, cannot boy. wait to hear your response. Okay. Um, so if you had a billboard anywhere and the billboard could have any message on it, what message would you put on it? You are enough. Yeah, I think I'd want it to say you are enough. Just to remind people that, I, I don't know what happens to us as we get older, but we lose sight of the fact that there really is only one of us 
we're so unique. There's how many people on the planet? 750 billion. And there's only one like you. So no matter what it is that you're doing, you have something unique to offer and you, you are enough. Like that's enough. You, you don't have to try to be like somebody else or try to change who you are. Um, and it's okay if you don't get along with everybody and not everybody likes you. That's been a huge lesson for me in my life, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we, a lot of us grow up being the good girl and, or the good boy and everybody's going to like you and do the right thing and say the right thing. But, you know, there's a reason there's contrast in life. There's a reason people get along, don't get along. It's okay. It doesn't, we don't have to put that pressure on ourselves. Just let be what is and be the best person you can possibly be. Like, don't worry about all that crap. Who cares? Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's true. It's true. I've gone through like my own personal journey with that as well as like most people, right? Mm-hmm. It is something where you, you really, at some point in time, need to figure out who you are, what you stand for, where you want to spend your time and also kind of like reduce people that are, are dragging you down and changing your level of vibration and, and not being fully supportive and encouraging. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, it, and it's such a good exercise to, um, to I, I find is to put just love and light around all people because, you know, it, I, I'll say this sometimes too. It's like, you know, you look at people in a marriage, sometimes you have friends who come together and you're like, oh my God, like how did these two people end up together? They, whatever, we, we can be judgmental, right? It's like they shouldn't even be together. And, and then they get divorced and you see them with their new partners and everybody's so awesome. And it's like, okay, like, you know, that, that is a reality who we are with when, when you're matched to the people in your energy field who should be around you, you are, you can be so dynamic and wonderful and everybody can thrive. So don't let yourself get caught up in guilt and shame and feeling like, well, I should with this person because we have this history and no, you know, free yourself of that. There's no obligation to do that. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And I've loved chatting with you today. I'm so happy that we um, like reconnected. Um, I knew from that minute that I met you in 2014, I was like, oh, I really like this woman. I want to get to know her more. Um, So thank you for your time today, Monica. Thank you, Janet. And if people want to find you online, where is the best place for them to find you? So they can go to glamjewels.com. It's kind of a funny spelling, G-L-A-M-J-U-L-Z.com. But I am going to say right now, the website needs an overhaul. I'm working on it. Um, So there's Instagram is a great place. All the things that I'm up to uh, that's new and fresh and in real time is on Instagram. So, and it's the same handle, Glam Jewels. So, at Glam Okay, Jewels. perfect. Yeah. And I'll add that to the show notes as well. Thank so, you. Thank you again. It was so lovely to chat with you. You too. Thanks, Janet.